You're listening to the EFC Podcast. Happy birthday to the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, who turns 100 this year. David Wells is the General Superintendent of the denomination. In this interview, he shares his heart for the future of a church that is not slowing down and encouragement for the Canadian church in general. I'm Karen Stiller, and we think you will be encouraged by this interview. Welcome, Dave. Thanks, Karen. Good to be back with you. So what is it like to turn 100? Yeah, well, um, personally, I'm not quite there yet. (laughs) However, uh, organizationally, we're very conscious of 100 years of history, and it's a lot more good than bad. Give us a snapshot of what uh, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada denomination looks like today in Canada. Yes, we uh, cover all across the country except for a sister organization in Newfoundland and Labrador that started before we even did. We're in nine provinces, three territories, and we range in size from uh, small groups, some even meeting not in formal church buildings, all the way through to large churches of several thousand people. And we have just under 1,100 churches that are called self governing affiliated churches. So they're responsible for their own governance, but they're affiliated with us for shared mission and accountability of their uh, pastors and leaders. So there's over 3,700 credentialed leaders across the country, and then uh, including our global workers that work in over 70 countries, there's close to 350 of them. So that's our reach internationally, along with all of our international partners that we participate with. We do have well over 100 other disciple-making communities, as we call them. These would be satellite churches. These would be missional initiatives that meet on campuses and so on. But they're viewed as a -a 12-month-a-year gathering that does looks like a church, smells like a church, but they're categorized a little different. So when push comes to shove, we're right around 1,191 churches and disciple-making communities as of today. So as general superintendent of PAOC, you obviously have a good bird's eye view. Give us sort of a health check of your communities across Canada. How are they doing generally? And what are things like today for those churches? Yeah, well, like most 100-year-old people, we... uh, go to the doctor regularly. And uh, uh, we, like a lot of my sister church organizations, you know, we're close to numerous fellow leaders. We just had, for instance, a retreat last week. So we keep touching base with one another on the EFC platform and other platforms. And um, we are always evaluating because um, as churches go through their life cycles, there's always the tendency to... uh, allow entropy to enter in, have a little less energy, be a little less outward bound. And of course, this is a bit of the common story being shared about the church across the country. Uh, We've tried uh, to deliberately engage to ensure that our churches have clarity about where they're at in the life cycle. Now, of course, because we're 100 years old doesn't mean all our churches are 100 years old. Some are really just being planted or quite young, but some are well over 100 years old. It's interesting to note that on that whole spectrum, some that 
would be considered the oldest are also some of the healthiest because their leadership has continued to stay strong in helping their church uh, stay vital in spirit, have a strong sense of uh, their need for the Lord to be at work among them. They share God's word in a very uh, clear way and in a way that builds lives. And so people are being made into followers of Jesus in a disciplined way. But at the same time, they're outward bound in the sense that they're seeking to touch their communities, see people come to living faith. They're usually involved uh, in their region and even nationally and internationally. So just because the church is uh, 10 years old or 110 years old, uh, it doesn't guarantee whether they're healthy or not. It's all about leadership. It's all about that local church's vision and leadership today and how God's at work with them. And so all over the spectrum, we see churches that are healthy, they're strong, they're touching people's lives. But at the same time, we have other churches all the way down to some are in life support. <laughs> and so, you know, our doctors have to come and determine uh, whether this patient can be saved or not. So we're not different than our sister church organizations across the country that way, but we are very intentionally addressing questions of our church vitality. And uh, we have people in all of our districts that are engaged along that line. So I just met with that group a week ago. That's their front burner priority. And so, uh, yeah, like a hundred year old person, we know we've got to keep in touch with the doctor, but you know, there's uh, still good health in many places, but we're also addressing where there isn't health. You know, I find it uh, really encouraging and interesting, your comment that some of the uh, older congregations are doing so well, because I, I realized, as soon as you said that, I realized, oh, I, I have that same kind of bias in my mind for some reason that newer is better or younger is fresher or something. But so that's, that's really encouraging to hear. And it makes sense that with that foundation of years and years of ministry that you've learned a few things. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're congregationally based, so there is a, a strong responsibility on the local leader. But it's interesting when the spirit uh, talked to the first church uh, say in the Revelation, for instance, um, the message was given to the messengers in the church, the people that bore responsibility for how God was speaking to the church, and they were being called on to respond appropriately. And so um, we have been emphasizing that to our leaders that, uh, you know, leadership is both a science and an art, and evaluation is both... Uh, uh, science and an art as well. And so there's stats and there's things your statistics tell you, your offerings tell you. Uh, are there any new people being touched by the good news of Jesus or aren't there? And uh, But in addition to that, there's the art form, the sense of this is spirit to spirit. We are led by a Lord of the church who we don't tangibly see. And yet we believe uh, Jesus is active in his church. So how do they respond, you know, in order to listen to the Lord in their own context? So to be a pastor in an indigenous church on the West Coast and how the Spirit is speaking to you at a given time as you look at your stats and your church's outreach and the health of your church, 
it might look a little different than somebody in one of the major urban centers running a downtown church, you know. Uh, so we allow for that kind of encourage that kind of uh, diversity in the sense of responding. And yet there are best practices. There are things that are indicators of a vital church compared to one that isn't. So, you know, we try to help bring that to the table as well. I would note that sometimes some of those on life support are first generation churches. And that kind of surprised me when I reviewed all our stats. I actually went through absolutely every church we'd opened, planted, and so on. And every one we closed one year. And I was surprised how many first generation churches were closing uh, because they didn't have sustainability. So, of course, we've tried to address that as well, as well as helping churches that are 50, 70, even 100 years old. Dave, I'm assuming in your role as general superintendent, and I think just from what I know of you as a person, that you're probably mentoring and caring for your clergy and your church leaders. And I wondered if you could speak to that a little bit. How do you encourage your leaders to stay healthy spiritually? How do you encourage them to keep you know, running the race? And Because it can be, being a pastor, can be a very tough job. Yeah, well, previously to my... Uh the current role, I was our district guy out in BC, Yukon. Our districts are kind of uh, have the first line responsibility to ensure not only congregational health and development, but they also have a first line responsibility to ensure our credentialed leaders are healthy as well as being developed. The event I'm going to today out in British Columbia has that focus. And uh, so we try to ensure we have solid credential holder care that is multifaceted. It's everything from encourage their lifelong learning, their ongoing development, you know, even strategies from our colleges and seminaries on that, all the way through to district-approved counselors and 1-800 lines that provide clergy care and even making it available confidentially. So if it's something within the family or personal struggles or whatever, that credential holder can get the help immediately and it doesn't necessarily come through a denominational official about what's going on. So, you know, we've tried to have this multifaceted approach to the whole person. Back in my youth days, uh, youth pastor, there was a lot of emphasis on being the army of God and, you know, sold out and radical. And so there's a lot of activism Pentecostals tend to be empowered activists, but I, I would remind people, especially in uh, youth leadership context, is that you got to be a family before you're an army. I think our Lord modeled that about how he poured in to the individual, how he made disciples of small groups, how he was uh, interactive and relational. Even John says, chapter one, he came and lived among us full of grace and truth. So the relational component is huge, and even even putting structures that allow for relationship together in a denomination as wide as ours is, is a priority so that people never feel like they walk alone. When we did an audit of our values within our own credential holders, they indicated that uh, they preferred family language to institutional language. And with that, they understood that families gather 
at tables, you know, and they converse. And so that emphasis on creating environments where even when we're going through somewhat major changes at times, even nationally, for instance, we're dealing right now with the wording and refreshing our statement of uh, faith that we call it our statement of fundamental central truths. It's being done uh, conversationally, it's being done regionally, it's being done interactively in order to communicate this family value and that we can talk about these things at family tables. And in that, there's even a health that comes about people feeling they belong, people feeling they're heard, and then to have these other supportive mechanisms in place, even to look after if your kid seems to be having a hard time as a teenager or somebody's walking through depression in your family, to be able to have people you can go to and counselors and so on. So again, it's multifaceted. And I think in that you create air to breathe, hopefully healthier. Yeah, I like that. I That's a wonderful picture of being a family and not uh, not a corporation or something. Yeah, well, my, our gang won't let me get away with that anyway. <laughs> you know, I, I think there's one place in our constitution that refers to my role as CEO. Well, good luck going around telling all of uh, our, especially our pastors of churches that I'm their CEO. You know, they they would just kind of, oh, come on, Wellesley, let's get on with, you know, it uh so, you know, again, you got to be a family before you can be uh, an army or, you know, so we just try to keep up the family values. Now, this 100th uh, birthday gives you a chance to probably reflect, I guess, and look ahead. What are you hoping uh, these celebrations will do for the family? Yeah, we launched uh, our centenary year uh, because our national conference was last a year in Victoria, and we were going into our 100th year. So we we launched it with, uh, as a lot of those churches and organizations would who are turning 100, you know, you celebrate what's good and right from the past. You look at those things and are reminded about what's lasting, the, the main things that aren't going to go away. And so we've been emphasizing those but not with a sense of nostalgia or, you know, lamenting the loss of the good old days. It's been with this sense of, you know, these things remain solid. They remain core to who we are. And even celebrating currently where we're seeing that lived out, whether it's through local churches or workers across Canada, chaplains. Uh, we love telling stories of people on, uh, we have close to 60 campuses, colleges, and universities were involved in and doing harm reduction on campus. Well, we love to tie those stories of the present to who we feel we've always been. One of my friends has coined the phrase, when you catch us at our best, you know, and it's so there's still a lot of that evidence today to keep us from slipping back into just nostalgia or so on. But then this realism as well, Karen, about, yeah, but we, we're in life cycles. Our churches are in life cycles. Sometimes an individual minister can be in a life cycle. And so be very focused on how to uh, be vital today and always looking forward rather than back and helping churches to be outward bound rather than uh, trapped in their own preferences and getting more inward bound, which is 
the beginning of the end for most churches. If they become preference-oriented about their own agendas, the death knell is already there. It just hasn't been revealed, you know. So we work against that, try to encourage. Uh, and even a pragmatic thing, like during our 100th year, our general executive meetings, we totally uh, repurposed our strategic vision group from the general executive to be about one thing, and that's related to millennials and younger and uh, ensuring that that strategic vision committee is at least 50% millennials and younger to work with those of us that are a little older than that and just ensure that whether it's in how we shape our conferences, whether how we look at local church ministry moving forward, even how we go about interacting with Canadians and overseas like that we're hearing younger voices and because they're the ones who have to live <laughs> with the trajectory of our churches and our lives today. They're the ones that are going to be stuck with what we did. And hopefully it's going to be a positive legacy and it's going to lay positive foundations. So, you know, a very strong intergenerational emphasis at this time, but trying to make sure it leads to practical outcomes and open to changes in structure and changes in events and just so that we're right in the middle of that right now. I love uh, what you referenced about sharing, you know, the good stories and uh, being caught at your best. And I mean, we're storytellers at uh, the EFC and Faith Today and trying to encourage people with how much good is happening across Canada and how much there is to celebrate and acknowledge that is positive in the church. And I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit and maybe encourage someone who is listening to this podcast who uh, thinks that things were so much better before, and I don't know, maybe it was a whole lot easier, but what encouraging words do you have for the church today in Canada? I think uh, the first encouragement would um, not to get trapped in sentimentality or laments about how culture supposedly was. No matter what era you try to deify, there were always a lot of exceptions for people where it wasn't the greatest days. <laughs> and so uh, rather than getting locked in sentimentality, my encouragement would be um, there are realities about today, Canadian spiritual life, uh, cultural value. Sure, uh, we accept there's huge challenges, so we're not in denial. But at the same time, um, I love church history, and I tend to remind people that the church has actually done really well at times when they were not the home team, when they were facing things of challenge where the culture didn't always agree with everything they were about. But here's what they understood. They understood that they were about good news. They were about transformation. They were able to come with the message of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. So there's something about being very conscious of being God's people, His presence at work in our lives, the hope that that brings and the empowerment that brings so that we can engage people starting one-on-one -on -one and not be timid, not be fearful. But as Paul said to Timothy, you can have power, love, and soundness of mind in Canada in 2019 and beyond and know that Jesus promised he builds his church. He works with people 
that actually maintain his focus, enjoy his presence, share his word. He builds things. He builds lives. He transforms families. He comes into circumstances where the evil one says, no, I'm here to destroy and tear down and polarize. And suddenly people show up who actually see life come, that actually overcome polarization and bring reconciliation. These are great times, Karen, to be those kind of people, because there is the need for healing. There is the need for transformation. There is the need for Jesus to transform families and situations and young and old lives, you know. But there is opportunity even to see transformation in societal contexts where there's polarization, where there's brokenness. And boy, when people show up as uh, motivated by that mission, uh, God works for them. And we're seeing little outbursts of that across our country and even around the world. And it's uh, very encouraging how God does show up. Yet he won't show up for people that are looking in the rearview mirror and just lamenting that it doesn't look like it looked back in 1969 when Love Song first came on the scene and we're singing those nice uh, Christian love songs, you know? Yes. Dave, thank you so much. Well, on to another hundred if uh, Jesus gives us that kind of time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.